Welcome to Marxist Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider or visit www.socialist.net. I am your host, I'm Adam Booth, the editor of Socialist.net. And in a minute, we're going to be joined by Natasha Sorrell, who's a teacher, uh, a national education union activist up in Sheffield. And she's going to be talking to us about some of the difficulties uh, facing the so-called essential workers uh, right now. Obviously, teachers, nurses, uh, transport workers, a lot of workers who are classed as essential for running of society. And a lot of the burden at uh, this time is falling on those workers. So without further ado, uh, I will try and get Natasha on the line. Natasha, hello. Can you hear us okay? Yeah, hi, okay. Excellent. Okay, we can hear you too. Um, so Natasha, uh, do you want to tell us a bit about then, um, as a teacher, uh, some of the problems facing essential workers? Um like uh, just to to highlight it, actually, uh, I'm just going to show the viewers uh, a tweet uh, which uh, from a couple of days ago, showing the tube, you know, the the tube network in London absolutely rammed full of workers having to go into work, uh, obviously to to run uh, essential services, and at the same time transport being closed down. It's surely a uh, it's a kind of a breeding ground for for disease, putting a lot of people at risk. Uh, and we know from reports that we're getting in that uh, a lot of these workers are not being provided with protective measures at work. Can you describe then some of the situation uh, facing yourself as a teacher and, and other essential workers like yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, public transport is a major issue, actually, and people are really concerned about this because where people don't have their own independent cars to get into work, they're still having to go in on the transport. Um, and because the demand is slumped for transport, they're taking you know, they've shortened the routes, there aren't as many buses and um, other transports running. And so they're essentially forcing people into these overcrowded situations. Um, and it's, you know, very unsafe. People are in, at increased risk of infection. And I know um, it has been a big concern situation. of people um, about how they're going to get there and then being put at greater risk. Um, we had people really upset and anxious about it in our workplace last week. Um, everyone was asked to go in on Monday and, and right after that lockdown was announced, of course. So public transport's a major issue. And I know it's worse um, in London, actually, in Sheffield, the buses have been reasonably empty, but um, it is a, it's a big worry that people are, are really feeling, I think, at this moment in time. Um, and on top of that, I think the speed at which the schools closed and things have been changing means there's not been a lot of planning, there's not been a lot of time for discussion with workers. Um, so measures are kind of being rushed through and changed very quickly people don't necessarily know where they stand um so people are being asked to come into work when they don't really need to be there they're being worried about being there um so and, and it's taking time for these things to be worked out and of course that's leaving people in a, a dangerous situation um like at my school we were all last the whole staff body was in on monday um despite the school being closed and i know that's the case in quite a lot of other schools as well and other workplaces are, are kind of grappling with this idea of of how many people need to be in and it's taking a lot longer it's taking a good bit of time i think to um negotiate between staff in the workplaces and management where that's happening to keep people out of the workplace where necessary and safer 
Um, so yeah, like transport to work and who is in the workplace are, are big issues. Um, and, and what kind of measures have been put in place uh, for teachers uh, to try and ensure safety within uh, the school in terms of not just yourselves, but obviously the, the kids who are still having to come into school, the kids of essential workers, uh, vulnerable uh, children who require free school meals. Um, you know, what measures are being put in place in the schools themselves to try and prevent the spread of disease? Because schools in a typical period must be a breeding ground um, and, and yourselves as, as teachers must be uh, at threat of these uh, risks as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's been quite slow, I think. Um, there's been loads of videos and wash your hands and that kind of thing in the weeks running up to the closures. Um, but now that they are closed, um, I think the measures that have been put in place are at the minute to reduce the numbers. But it, I think because the government advice was so weak and varied when it first came out about what a key worker actually was, who fit into that role, the schools were expecting quite large numbers at the start of the week. Um, we were expecting about 35, and I know that's the case in quite a few other schools across Sheffield, um, in other schools that I've spoken to. Um, now, the numbers have dropped as the week's gone on, um, but I think the measures they put in place were to just overstaff to begin with to make sure that they weren't kind of overwhelmed by that. Um, and that it's been quite vague, like, oh, try and social distance, um, but you're going to be in a classroom. Now, even if you do social distance at two metres in a classroom, you're still in close proximity. Um, the nature of teaching is quite a close human to human contact job um, helping students with work and things like that. So it is quite difficult. And I think um, while staff are quite aware of the need to social distance and wash hands and things like that, pupils aren't necessarily aware to the same extent. And I think that's one of the difficulties is how you how that is put into place. And it's even worse in primary schools or special school special schools, sorry, where day contact is a really important part of those jobs. And so it's very, very difficult to actually implement any of the things that the government is suggesting. There hasn't been um, additional hand sanitizer or anything like that, uh, just the urge to wash hands and things more frequently. But I think as the week's gone on, you know, there have been improvements. The number of children in schools has reduced. They've been encouraging parents to keep students, students at home unless they absolutely need to come in. Um, and also they're now starting to think about rotors um, and getting workers out of the workplace as much as physically possible which is a big change, big change from the start of the week. So I think things are changing, um, but they've been quite slow to happen. And there's, there's still this question remains over the fact that some of these pupils, you know, they need to be in school. It's maybe unsafe for them to be at home or they've got parents who are key workers. There's just no other option for them. Um, and I think to an extent, given the nature of the job, as it is, I guess, in the healthcare sector, that, you know, that there is a large amount of exposure to other human beings that simply can't be avoided. Um, so I think, how do you get around that? Um, greater social distancing, greater education for the pupils, maybe. Um, but there is a certain amount of risk that comes with these these types of jobs. And it sounds like to me that um, there wasn't really much of a plan in place uh, for how to go about this. And that strikes me as, as particularly kind of arrogant from this Tory government, because Obviously, they could see what was coming from, you know, what happened in China and then in Italy and even Spain. You know, all of these countries were ahead of us. And yet there was no real plan put in place as to how to close the schools. From what I understand, Britain was quite far behind other countries in terms of how long it took to close the schools down. And you would think even on a wider level that, you know, the, the Ministry of Education would be prepared 
for some sort of crisis situation you know they they often talk about gaming you know certain economic crises and so forth in the treasury why hasn't the ministry of education planned for the potential need to close down schools and what they would do with children and vulnerable children in that situation was have have teachers ever been prepared for anything like this do you think there was any plan in place uh you know or was it very much a knee-jerk reaction no, I mean, the lack of planning seems absolutely staggering. Um, as you've said, we saw schools closing in China, um, in other European countries. Um, and I think it really wasn't until the schools closed in Ireland that any thought of planning for the schools in the UK began to happen. Um, I've heard, I think like the earliest planning I heard of was about a week and a half before the schools closed, when they announced uh, on the Thursday that the Irish schools were going to close. Some schools then started emailing around but the planning that was put in place at that point was from individual head teachers and academies where they were saying, can you start to put things online because you might be working from home? Can you start to think about producing packs for pupils that might not have access to the internet? But that's it. Um, and actually, um, I work in quite a deprived area where a vast number of pupils don't have access to the internet. They don't have access to um, broadband or they don't even have a computer or a device in their home. And there's been absolutely no planning beyond what teachers have scrabbled to get together themselves in the last week of term for those pupils. And this is only going to broaden the gap that already exists between the pupils that have and the pupils that don't. So those who have access to these kind of resources are going to be able to carry on with their education. Um, those who don't are going to fall further behind because they're not getting any um, intervention or support. They're getting some packs posted home at the best. Um, and that was done from teachers in the last week going into overdrive. Um, as well as carrying on teaching the normal lessons, also trying to produce extra stuff that could be sent home. Um, and it, I think it is really shocking. I know in the healthcare sector, um, they've been planning for pandemics like this for years. Um, and my, um, my, I know this is quite anecdotal, but my dad works in a care home and he told me that as early as 2012, they were having meetings with the local authority about how to plan and prepare for um, a pandemic, what different sectors would be pulled in for, what different workers will be converted for. Um, and that hasn't happened in the slightest in education, or if it has, none of it at all has been communicated to us. And nor has it felt like that's um, been in place. It's been a real scrabble to quickly lend laptops out or get things prepared. Um, and you know, you sort of said, why is it? Why is that the case? I, can, I mean, to me, it seems the um, greater privatisation that's happened in the education sector means there is no local authority control in a, a very large number of schools. Um, and so the coordination of a, a national plan for something like this to happen would be very, very difficult due to the fact that schools are controlled by disparate academies who have very little, if any, connection to one another at all. Um, and it means the sharing out of resources is incredibly limited. And as I was saying, that this is who does this affect the most? It affects the pupils from the poorest backgrounds who don't have access, who don't have any support network, um, who are being kind of left to their own devices to try and have a go at some work that's set for them. So, um, yeah, it, it, it has been ridiculous. And the fact that the government didn't even start to put things into place, even if it would have been a bit more rushed when the schools in China and, and the rest of Europe closed, is also just a huge oversight of, of just ridiculous proportions. They knew that this was going to come at a certain point. They were sort of saying way before this, look, we're on, in the UK, we're only um, three weeks behind Italy or whatever the prediction was. Um, and yet, nothing nothing was put into place um it, it was just sort of speculation and um it's been left up to individual teachers and um leaderships in schools to deal with and and i think one of the things that is also a bit of a contradiction i guess is is what we've discussed earlier in the week as well um where 
uh, you're seeing a lot of um, non-essential businesses trying to keep going in terms of production. Uh, a lot of the bosses trying to basically maintain uh, their businesses in order to, you know, basically putting profits before lives. And do you, does that then have a spillover effect into what you're seeing in schools that you're having kids coming in who don't necessarily even need to be there, but are uh, kind of being forced to because, uh, you know, their, work, their, their working class parents are having to come in uh, to work and, and work unnecessarily when they should be at home and, uh, and the kids should be at home as well? Yeah, especially Monday. I think on Tuesday when they made that announcement about the more severe lockdown measures, a lot of businesses started to shut then. But um, on Monday, they were facing a, the prospect of a lot more students. And there were, there were um, you know, over triple the number in schools at that point. Um, and it was because, yeah, just shops were staying open and parents had to go to work. I went into a shop um, in Sheffield on Sunday um, and the guy there was had a child in my school and he was saying like well you know they're telling me to come in what can I do I need to send my kid in I have to come to work I can't not come um otherwise I'll face this economy action and um I think a lot of businesses did try to stay open earlier in the week and have since you know with the closure of like Greg's and McDonald's and and the pubs and things um that's kind of almost been enforced a little bit more but before that businesses were yeah definitely trying to keep things open um for really non-essential things and it was the kids that were then going to have to come into school and, and be taught and put more people at risk to keep those businesses open and you know the bosses aren't in those jobs they, they're not in those shops with those workers they're nowhere they're, they're nowhere near so they're putting the the parents of the pupils at risk and all of the teachers and the staff because it isn't just teachers it's also the the rest of the staff the um office staff and the catering staff and the premises staff that are coming in as well um, all of those people were put at risk to keep these businesses open and to keep them, you know, gaining greater profits. Um, and I think that's that's definitely something that's been seen throughout this whole crisis is them putting profits over people the whole way. And I guess uh, you can see how all of these things interact, right? Because if the uh, if the you know the non-essential work uh, you know businesses are staying open and then workers in those industries have to go into work that puts pressure on the transport system that that you guys the actual essential workers uh, in actual essential services need to be using so that puts you at risk on top of that obviously it's only today that they finally come out with announcement about self-employed workers and uh, and people who are not covered uh, you know by a regular contract regular wage uh, so they've obviously been having to go into work as well so you can see how I guess it all interlinks and and the more pressure they're putting on the kind of profitable bits of the economy you know the, the workers who are, who are producing profit for the bosses the more that puts at risk the, the 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 children in the schools and the teachers and those in the essential sectors so I guess it's it's all interlinked uh, in, in that respect um Obviously, yourself, you're a, an NEU activist, an activist with the, the National Education Union, and you mentioned how this is also linked to some of the kind of erosion of education we've seen uh, over the last uh, years and, and decades even. What is the NEU uh, kind of campaigning for in, in, in amongst all of this uh, pandemic, in amongst this crisis? Um, is, is there specific demands relating to the, the, the crisis itself and uh, also then linking it back to, to bigger conversations? Because obviously in the NHS, this is opening up all sorts of question marks about underfunding, around privatisation, around outsourcing and so forth. 
and and you kind of hinted at the similar conversations of happening now in the education sector so what kind of things uh, are yourself and other activists uh, teaching activists uh, campaigning for at the present time yeah well i think um Unfortunately, it's not going quite as far as questioning the privatisation just yet. I think a lot of the demands to begin with have been centred around the safety of staff and pupils and parents. Um, so a lot of the demands have been around minimising the number of students, ensuring uh, safety for staff, um, making sure vulnerable staff are out of the building, um, those kinds of demands. Um, and also thinking about those with children trying to kind of minimise their contact in schools. Um, I think some of the things that will be raised in the next period are going to be around workload and accessibility of pupils. So I know there's been calls for, um, you know, like a netbook to be provided for all, all pupils to address that kind of question of um, inequality. Um, but I think it's raising questions around, around workload as well and how those conversations and how workers interact with management, which is a really important step because over the years, um, through privatisation and the academisation of schools, teachers have teachers' professionality has, has been eroded massively and the trust between workers and the management has completely disintegrated um, to the point that you see in, you know, teachers being mandated particular tasks to do, um, not really having a say over curriculum or um, any of the policies that are taking place. It's all kind of this top-down um, situation from academy chains and from the tops of those where there's just no trust in people and i think those kind of questions are starting to be raised now because it's a question of not having um a worker in the workplace to physically be able to look over them with like really harsh accountability measures or, or overly onerous onerous things and i think those are the kind of things that immediately i think will be brought into question um and about how staff are incorporated in decision making and how workers actually have a, a say over what is going on in the schools and, and the kind of lessons that we're going to be able to set and the interventions we can make with the pupils because up until now there's been as i said like each year on year seems to be less and less um less and less your professional opinion is taken into account despite the fact that teachers are, are skilled workers and they, they they're professionally trained they know um what students need they know what's best um and they've kind of been blocked out of negotiations in a lot of ways but as well we've seen um huge huge increases in teacher workload there's been a crisis um in, in retention and recruitment of teachers in recent years and it's part of this um lack of professionalism um and the lack of trust that is there but also the, the huge huge workloads and um, so what we're seeing in some schools is they're saying oh you know just try and set some tasks that can be completed with parents in the home and others are saying no you know you need to be at your desk from um eight in the morning till five in the afternoon, you need to be setting work as normal, you need to follow this timetable. I think the reality is that, um, you know, workers are humans, uh, teachers are, and workers are humans as well. They've got children um, in the home, it's just simply not possible to follow this. So I think because, possibly because academy, and this is academies that we're seeing this from, possibly because they are privatized and they can see you're a resource, basically. You're not a human being, you're a, a paid resource. You're being paid for a certain number of hours. You need to do those uh, number of hours. So I think, um, it really brings into question or it really raises the question um for people of of how you are treated in relation to your boss at work and your role in that workplace where you're you know as i said you're you're a person that needs to fill out this quota that you're being paid for and even under um the situation that we're in now that seems to still being be being pushed um and i think obviously that that just can't be the situation um it's not it's not possible to carry on in that way so yeah i think it i think um privatization is the main thing that's that's um 
raising these questions and I hope to see some of that be raised at a national level um, in the future. And, and one of the other things you've kind of hinted at there as well um, is the basically the inequalities of, of society in general are being reflected in education because you know, presumably in this period, I've, I've heard some people saying, well, we shouldn't have, there shouldn't be lessons at all because otherwise the people who are, who are you know, who have access to private tutors and so forth will do better. And, and you just think, well, you know, the, the problem is the whole of society is unequal and whatever they do in this situation, whether they try and keep education going or whether they just treat it as one long holiday, one way or another, the, the, the rich are going are gonna to benefit, uh, are going to do all right, are going to pass their exams and uh, and those uh, at the bottom of society are, are going to suffer. So do you, do you see that uh, kind of really coming to the surface, the, the inequality in education and in, and in wider society really being brought out by this uh, crisis? Yeah, 100%. It's awful. And um, there's a few things that raise from that. Um, firstly, generally, the the kind of impact that will have on on the the people who um, you know are generally poorer. But I think um, you mentioned exams specifically, and that is going to be a huge thing that's going to affect our year 11s and the generation of students who are in that year group for the rest of their lives. Because the government, with no again with no plan at all, just went, oh, exams are cancelled. Um, so the anxiety and the pressure that's been put on all of the people who've been preparing for those exams, firstly, is huge. Secondly, they're kind of saying, oh, you know, maybe teachers will be making that decision for themselves. So those people who have got um, a drive and potentially can see um, what career they want to go into, maybe they've got families at home that are caring and supportive and are pushing them or that have the, the time and they're not still in work or, um, you know, kind of got that push behind them um, and have the money to keep on going with maybe private tutoring online or have parents who have got the time to sit at home and go through uh, work with them are obviously going to be able to still submit work to their teachers to be marked that can be accounted and go towards the grade not everyone has the access to that though and so the way that they've gone about cancelling the exams is also going to massively increase the inequality um, that people are facing um, and obviously generally pupils who aren't going to get uh, access to these computer lessons and things at home they're going to fall further behind it is just exacerbating the situation that already exists in society and you're right you can't just say right we're going to have no education at all um because the the problem isn't to then reduce everybody down to the lowest level it's to bring those who weren't getting the same kind of access up to the top with uh, those who have got the best kind of education and i think that's um you know that's not being looked at seriously and it does raise that question like why do we have a system in this country where pupils are set up to fail from the day that they are born essentially if you're not born into a family where you've got uh, the resources um and the parents with time to hand that's it your the whole future of your life is decided and i think it raises the questions around high stakes testing and the way that um we test people and then determine their life worth on, on a couple of grades and you can only get certain jobs based on those grades so then your life as a worker is dependent on that and the whole system of competition and what type of job you have and, and being dependent on the wealth of your family at the point of birth is is you know raised to question but also i think points out the real inequality that exists completely from day one here um yeah Thank you. Um, we've we've got time for a couple of questions, and um, I've noticed one on the YouTube channel, um, and uh, it's uh, from 
uh, Olive uh, in Britain, I believe in your local uh, city as well, actually, Sheffield. Um, and uh, she asks about um, the kind of the mood amongst the workers, um, saying that, uh, you know, pointing out that there's been kind of war cats, uh, walk, walk outs, sorry, and uh, wildcat strikes and things like that in other sectors um, where where workers are under threat and uh, and and, are, and are, you know not being provided with protective measures and so forth. Um, she asks whether there's a perspective of similar kind of action uh, in education and other essential services. Um, and if not, what what kind of is the mood amongst teachers and uh, and where do you see uh, that being reflected? How do you see it being uh, reflected? Um, I mean, there's not really a mood for that just yet. Um, I think the, the thing with teaching is that sometimes it, it can be difficult to think about industrial action because the person that it impacts most is the students. Um, and so there's often a mood of, we must do these this extra work, we must do this extra stuff because at the end of it, the pupils are the ones that are gonna suffer. Now, that puts an additional strain on, on workers choosing to strike in sectors where you're caring. Um, it's not just the education sector, you know, anyone in the care sector will face this kind of, um, question I, I was going to say moral dilemma it's not it's not really but it's just additional pressure put on you and it's not pressure that should be put on you because it should be that you can fight for your rights um, and greater rights in the workplace free of that but unfortunately in the caring sectors or in you know where you're kind of educating um there is a question of, of pupils suffering so what that means is that people i think have a slightly uh, I wouldn't say more tolerant, but are prepared to tolerate certain erosions to the working conditions slightly more than potentially in other sectors. Um, and so I think at the minute, the mood is just one of kind of overwhelming. Everything just feels quite overwhelming at the minute. We're being asked to suddenly get used to teaching online. We've got, I mean, don't forget, um, not all teachers are, are brilliant with the internet. Not everybody has broadband in their home. Just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you have a computer at home. So one of the things that was done when we first went um, out of school was making sure that teachers actually had computers that they could take with them now there's, so there's, there's huge inequality in terms of like what people can do and the expectations from school is still largely the same on quite a lot of people um, and obviously like that different in different schools around the country but I think at the minute people are just facing this kind of prospect of well let's get our heads around what it is that we need to do um, it's the holidays coming up next week though and I think in those two weeks that we've got off there'll be a lot of time for, for reflection and thinking about the demands that people are having put on them and what's reasonable and what's not. And hopefully that will open up a dialogue around um, workload and what, what is reasonable and what should or could be done about that. Um, um, so actually on this question of workload, um, Olive actually asks a, a follow-up question saying how under the Tories over the last uh, however many years, 10 years that they've now been in power, uh, unbelievably, um, there's been a greater and greater emphasis put on exams over coursework and and you know this kind of hoop jumping uh for for, for kids to you know this constant exam after exam uh test after test has has that uh created a, a worse situation in this uh in during this kind of pandemic for for yourself and for the for the students i think so because there's a feel i mean for pupils there's a feeling of oh five five or ten years of education wasted like that was that was a comment from a pupil that i heard and there's a, a big feeling that they've put all of this um effort into sorry um effort and energy into things that are going to take them somewhere and now because that was the only chance that they had to 
prove themselves in the world that we have at the moment. Um, there's quite sorry, that's, um, there's quite a lot of um, you know people feeling disheartened because of that. Um, so it's not yeah, it, it, it it's difficult because if coursework had been in place. Um, people might not feel like everything they have is rested on the exams that have now been cancelled and also there might have been a lot more um, not like independence but project type work that, pe that pupils could kind of go off and do and there's just none of that exists now because it's all been got rid of um, it's all just you know revision revision and I suppose that's leading to the greater workload that we're seeing because it's like well you can just set more exam questions you can sort of set different tasks that can be done at school um that would have been done at school that can be done at home things like that so yeah I think it I think it has contributed to greater workload greater stress on children um probably greater stress on parents who are having to work their own jobs at home and at the same time educate students and meet these tasks that have got time deadlines on them that teachers are having to set um, yeah, yeah, so it's overall just, yeah. And it sounds like it's also putting stress on uh, pets as well from uh, what I can hear in the background there. So uh, it's not just the humans that are suffering uh, during this crisis. Um, just finally then, uh, we've got a question in from Chris in London uh, who says, well, you know, obviously teachers, as, as you've pointed out, are in the firing line here, uh, these essential workers. But obviously, lots of workers are under similarly intense conditions, uh, both in essential sectors and, uh, you know, in, in areas where the bosses are keep keeping production going for the sake of profits. Um, what would be your advice as a, as a socialist, as an activist, a trade unionist uh, for workers in general who are facing these kind of intense pressures? How can we uh, how can we fight back against these things? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think the most important thing is to um, is to be unionised or united in the workplace. Um, you can't make any changes or demands um, if you are just an individual. Um, I think our strength as workers comes in the fact that all together, if we walk out, these companies and these businesses and these industries cannot survive. We are the thing that makes um, all of this work and therefore our rights and our demands should be met if we are able to do that. So I would say, um, you know, join a union or get together with the colleagues in your workplace and decide what you think are is, you know, an acceptable working condition, what acceptable safety measures you think should be in place and take those demands to the bosses and ask them we, we think this is what should be happening and, and where that's agreed upon, great. And where it's not, that's when it's time to start thinking about taking further action and start thinking about what could be done, whether strikes are necessary um, in order to make sure that people are kept safe, that working conditions are acceptable um, and that we're shaping a workplace for workers, that workers are happy with and are designing and that works for workers, not for bosses and the profits that they're making. Um, and of, of course, I think that's the most important thing that we can do because that helps us to realise that actually we are the turning force of society. It's us that are keeping this country going. I mean, me less so as a teacher, but more so those in other key sectors. Um, and it should be us who decide what that society looks like. It should be us that decide what our workplaces and our working conditions are. It shouldn't be up to some boss who's not even attending work or who's teaching from afar or you know whatever whatever job it is that they're in um to put pressure on workers to do things that they're uncomfortable with all that are completely unnecessary in this situation um so yeah our, our strength comes in the numbers that we have and we should be demanding better because it's it's our society we're the ones that run it we should we should be running it we shouldn't be um under the the kind of 
control of, of, of individual bosses who are only concerned with profit. Thank you, Tash. That's, uh, that's a very good place to end it tonight. Uh, reminds me, obviously, that quote we often use of not a light bulb shines, not a telephone rings without the permission of the working class. And I think we're seeing that very much the case uh, at this present time with uh, essential workers like yourself uh, keeping society running despite all of the difficulties and despite the, the pressure of the bosses and the incompetence of uh, this, this Tory uh, government and the ruling class that they represent. So thank you very much for, for coming on the show tonight and uh, telling us about these conditions uh, and, uh, and about the situation on the front line. Um, thank you very much and uh, you know, stay safe, stay healthy um, and good luck uh, in the schools uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully see you uh, on the other side when the, when the, the pandemic is uh, subsided. Thank you for tuning in to Marxist Voice, brought to you by Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. Subscribe or download the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider or visit www.socialist.net for all the latest news, analysis and Marxist ideas.